The final stages of capitalism, Karl Marx predicted, would be marked by global capital being unable to expand and generate profits at former levels. Capitalists would begin to consume the government, along with the physical and social structures that sustain them. Democracy, social welfare, electoral participation, the common good and investment in public transportation. Roads, bridges, utilities, industry, education, ecosystem protection and healthcare would be sacrificed to feed the mania for short term profits. These assaults would destroy the host. Or, put more concisely, capitalism will eat itself. Hey everybody and welcome to Politics, Culture and Some Other Shit. Uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, Instagram, or if you want to lend me your support on Patreon for as little as a pound a month, that would be that would be just fantastic. I just wanted to uh, do a quick video on, um, well, you know by the title, it's called Marx Was Right. So what do I mean by that? Well, Marx was right, but I'm going to show you why he was right. We're living in extreme neoliberal times. This is the, this is the problem. So the final stages of capitalism, Karl Marx predicted, would be marked by global capital being unable to expand and generate profits at former levels, capitalists would begin to consume the government. Along with the physical and social structures that sustain them, democracy, social welfare, electoral participation, the common good and investment in public transportation, roads, bridges, utilities, industry, education, ecosystem protection and healthcare would be sacrificed to feed the mania for short-term profits. These assaults would destroy the host. Or, put more concisely, capitalism will eat itself. This is where we are. Okay, so, one of the, I'm going to show you a video, I'm going to play you a video from George Mumbia in a moment, but I want to read this article first. Now this is from my internet daddy, uh, Chris Hedges, one of the few human beings on earth that is literally never wrong. Not that I've known him to be wrong, and I've read quite a bit of his stuff, including his books and things like that. Let me just get that out of the way. Why is that coming there? Uh -oh. Okay, I'm just going to move this so that it doesn't... Uh... There, that's better. So... So this, but this was written in 2015. It's published on uh, TruthDig by CommonDreams.org and was written by, uh, as I said, Chris Hedges, a man who is, that I've, that I've never known to be wrong. So it's entitled Marx Was Right. Now I'm going to read a little bit of this and then I am going to play you the video from George Mumbia and it'll tie everything together for you. All right. So... Karl Marx, here we go. Karl Marx exposed the, the peculiar dynamics of capitalism, or what he called the bourgeois mode of production. He foresaw the capitalism had built within it the seeds of its own destruction. He knew that reigning ideologies, think neoliberalism, that's where we are today, were created to serve the interests of the elites, and in particular, the economic elites. Since the class, which has the means of material production at its disposal, has control at the same time 
over the means of mental production. And the ruling ideas are nothing more than the the ideal expression of the dominant material relationships. The relationships which make one the ruling one. Basically, the rich have the money. Others have the ideas, right? And because the rich have the money, they get to own everything. They, they, they get to own the product of the labor. So, he saw that one day, that there would come a day when capitalism would exhaust its potential and collapse. He did not know when that day would come. Marx, as Magnad Desai wrote, was an astronomer of history, not an astrologer. Marx was keenly aware of capitalism's ability to innovate and adapt, but he also knew that capitalist expansion was not eternally sustainable. Okay? And as we witness the denouement of capitalism and the disintegration of globalism, Karl Marx is vindicated as capitalists, capitalism's most prescient and important critic. In a preface to the contribution to the critique of political economy, Marx wrote, No social order ever disappears before all the productive forces for which there is room in it have been developed, and new higher relations of productions never appear before the material conditions of their existence have matured in the womb of the old society itself. I'm going to sum that up for you in a modern way. In a second. <laughs> it's, it gets a bit wonky when you read Marx, doesn't it? But it's not too much of it. Therefore, mankind always sets itself only such tasks as it can solve. Since looking at the matter more closely, we always find that the task itself arises only when the material conditions are necessary for its solution. For its solution already exists. For it, for its solution already exists. Or at least in the process of formation. So what he said, so I'll go get right. Playstations, right? Playstation 1, Playstation 2, but I don't know what iteration they're up to at the minute. I think it's 5, is it? Playstation 5 or 6. Like, let's say it's 5. They've got 6. They've got 7 and 8 and 9's all ready to go, but they'll not release them until they've sold all the 6's that they can. And they'll only set for themselves tasks that they can already solve. They won't go beyond that. So it limits, it limits what's possible, right? So that's what kind of what we're what we're saying here. Um, socialism, in other words, would not be possible until capitalism had exhausted its potential for further development. That the end is coming is hard now to dispute, and although one would be foolish to predict when, we are called to study Marx to be ready. The final stages of capitalism, Marx wrote would be marked by developments that are intimately familiar to most of us, unable to expand and generate profits at past levels. Now, this is where we are today, right? This is, this is a, the, the point of this article, the point of this video. The capitalist system would begin to consume the structures that had sustained it. It would prey upon, in the name of austerity, the working class and the poor, driving them ever deeper into debt and poverty and diminishing the capacity of the state to serve the needs of ordinary citizens. It would, as it has increasingly, relocate jobs, including both manufacturing and professional positions, to countries with cheap pools of labourers, 
industries would mechanise their workplaces. This would trigger an economic assault on not only the working class, but the middle class, the bulwark of the capitalist system. Okay. That would be disguised by the imposition of massive personal debt as incomes declined or remain stagnant. Politics would in late stages of capitalism become subordinate to economics. Leading the political parties hollowed out of any real political content, abjectly subservient to the dictates and money of global capitalism. But as Marx warned, there is a limit to the economy built on scaffolding of debt expansion. There comes a moment, Marx knew, when there would be no new markets available, no new pools of people who could take on more debt. This is what happened with the subprime mortgage crisis. Once the banks cannot conjure up new subprime borrowers, the scheme falls apart and the system crashes. Capitalist oligarchs, meanwhile, hoard huge sums of wealth, $18 trillion stashed in overseas tax havens, expected as tribute from those they dominate, in debt and impoverish. Capitalism would, in the end, Marx said, turn on the so-called free market, along with the values and traditions it claims to defend. It would, in its final stages, pillage the systems and the structures that made capitalism possible. It would resort, as it caused widespread suffering, to harsher forms of repression. It would attempt, in a frantic last stand, to maintain its profits by looting and pillaging state institutions, contradicting its stated nature. Marx warned that in the later stages of capitalism, huge corporations would exercise a monopoly on global markets. The need of a constantly expanding market for its products chases the bourgeoisie over the entire surface of the globe, he wrote. It must nestle everywhere, settle everywhere, establish connections everywhere. These corporations, whether in the banking sector, the agricultural and food industries, the arms industries or the communications industries, would use their power, usually by seizing the mechanisms of state to prevent anyone from challenging their monopoly. They would fix prices to maximise profit. They would, as they have been doing, push through trade deals such as the TPP and the CAFTA, CAFTA to further weaken the nation-state's ability to impede exploitation by imposing environmental regulations or monitoring working conditions. And in the end, these corporate monopolies would obliterate free market competition. Right, so that's that's all I'm going to read there. It goes on and on and on and on, but we're not going to worry about that. So, Marx hedges explain is explaining what Marx is telling us that um, capitalism will eat itself. Essentially, that's what it's done. So, the version of capitalism that we have, neoliberalism, is in the process of consuming the state. I'm, I'm talking specifically here in the UK and in the north of Ireland, of course. I would like very much to be in Ireland and not the UK at all. As I keep saying in these videos, unfortunately, these are the politics that I have to con that I do comment on more than others because it is the country, the state that I live in. Um, despite me not wanting that to be a fact, but it is. 
We've seen the neoliberal government of Liz Truss and Quasi Quartang's budget of the other week instantly tanking the British economy. The pound is at an all-time low, pretty much parity with the dollar, which is okay for the dollar. Sterling isn't the American dollar. It doesn't work the same. It's not doesn't have the same buying power. Doesn't it's not this, it's not as attractive to um, the people that buy these, buy these things on international markets. These government bonds, right? So it, it is a big problem, but it's hard to believe. It's actually a part of the plan. It's part of their plan. So um, I wanted to just on uh, that marks. Um, or, or sorry, that Chris Hedges article. Um, there was a couple of little points I wanted to to make. There comes a point when there's no new markets are available, no new pools of people who could take on more debt. This is where we are, right? Not to the same. We got to remember what debt is. So he talked about the scaffolding of debt. Personal debt. People didn't have things like credit cards. Managers, owners, had rich people had credit cards. And then late 60s and 70s, personal debt, especially in America. America's obviously ahead of, the, ahead of everybody else with these modernizing um, trends. But personal debt became a thing. The emancipation of the female through women's liberation in the 60s, primar- well, not primarily, but um, being able to take the pill so that every time you had sex you didn't get pregnant, that was a big thing. Women could go out into the workplace, develop careers, if they chose to. But then what happened was, what it took one wage to do, then the capitalist then says, well, okay, you can go into the workplace, but we're going to take two wages to do the same thing, and we're going to saddle you with personal debt. So we can see capitalism promises that through the increased te- technological advancements, Marx points it out, Chris Hedges points it out, the technological advancements will only be done by capitalism so long as they're profitable. So long as they're completely exhausted before they move on to the next thing and there'll be a lack of imagination employed in the development, in research and development. It's because you've only got the profit motive. So long as you've only got the profit motive, you're only thinking about the profit. It limits your thinking, right? Whereas we can see that most, like for, there's an example, a phone. Most of the technology that was developed for a phone was developed by public research grants. The, the the satellite navigation technology was developed by I think the was it the Australian military uh, or the Australian research scientists. Uh, computer chip by British and so on and so forth. The six major components in a mobile phone, five of the six were developed. Now, what the capitalists did was they stuck them all together and they made this fantastic device. There's no doubt you can't you can't deny that, but. Nonetheless, it's still it's still an illustration of the, of limited thinking that's controlled by something as narrow as profit, rather than just dream about the stars and go right. Okay, right, we don't have to worry about profit. We're just going to make this thing work, right? 
You know, capitalist is ever going to build a large hadron collider? Takes people that are unchained from the burden of profit or the motivation of profit. So there's all so there's those things, and he, he spoke about the middle class as well. Who used to, what the word he used was the bulwark of capitalism. So the middle class was was invented by capitalists in order to allow the willing working class who and were talented enough as they seen it and willing to do it, rise up into the middle class, the management class, to manage the workers. Uh, the British Empire technically sort of really invented the middle class. As the empire spread over the two-thirds of the earth, the the upper class, the lords and the ladies and the, the good chaps, they weren't, there wasn't enough of them to manage the empire. So they had to allow a middle class to rise up to do the management for them. And that's where the middle class come from. But now capitalism is so monopolistic, so unsatiable with unsatiably greedy, that now even the middle class and have, are, 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 are being eaten alive. And this is the point, I've made this in a few videos in the past, where I've said, Revolutions start when the middle with the middle class, not all the time, but with the when the middle class rise up, you tend to it becomes uh, governments get overthrown. When doctors are going out and strike, as they are here, when barristers and solicitors are going out and strike, it's not all railway workers, but which is important is more important because there's more of them. But we're in a state in the UK where even the middle class are being hollowed out by capitalism. And by this particular neoliberal neoliberal version of capitalism being spearheaded by Liz Truss. So, we've got this great video from George Monbiot. Monbiot? 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 I think he's a is an English uh, environmentalist, I think, environmental uh, campaigner. So we're going to watch this. It's about 10 minutes long. I was going to go in and edit it to try and, but to get the points down or, or to try and make it a little bit shorter, but I, I literally couldn't cut a second out of it. It was uh, the whole thing. So we're going to play it. We're going to watch it together. I'll stop it from time to time and comment if that's okay. And it's specifically about Liz Truss quasi quartang neoliberalism, right? So let's get to it. Here we go. You could see it as an experiment. What happens when the neoliberal ultras take over a government and get everything they want? The pound tanks, the economy collapses, everything goes to shit almost overnight. Welcome to Oligarch Island. Liz Truss is the oligarch's prime minister. She's a kind of Manchurian candidate put in place by these dark money lobby groups on behalf of oligarchs and corporations, most of whom are not domiciled in this country at all. She is working for global capital against the interests of this nation. These people are fake patriots. Mm -hmm. They are actually undermining the status of this nation. This is the thing that I, always, I, I talk, again, I talk about it quite often, and it's never... I live in a country, in a part of a country, the north of Ireland, where patriotism is virtue signalled to the point of ridiculousness. 
You're a patriot because you wave a flag. You can vote right wing, as a lot of people do. Vote for the DUP, who are backing the Tories and being prepared to allow themselves to be screwed over and over and over again by these same Tories. Those same people are closing down your hospitals, literally. Making it impossible for you to get a doctor's appointment, cutting back mental health services, elder care and community services. These things are being cut to the bone by what Chris Hedges explained, what Marx explained, how Marx explains. They're going for this for civil society that so that the structures that we build, that we then call that we identify those structures as being the pillars of what we call our society, are no longer there. That's what Margaret Thatcher says. There's no such thing as society. It's all about the individual. Well, that's not in human nature. It's not our nature to be like that. We're not individuals. We are individuals, but we don't live individual lives. We live in a community. Capitalism has only been around for arguably 400 years. We've been around as a species for 100,000 plus years. And in those 100,000 plus years, we live communally. We share. We take care of each other. These are the things that are natural. This is why capitalism is unnatural and it's immoral. Capitalism doesn't have the morality to give us as a society what we need to create those pillars that we then identify as being our society. These are the things that we, that we care for. And these are the things that are being hollowed out. And that, to me, is what, I, what, what George Monbiot is saying. And, and I've been saying, I said in, in many videos in the past, these are the things that I consider to be treasonous. It's not waving a flag, fainting when you see a fucking member of the royal family like some lick spittle. It's that. It's your providing hospitals together providing schools together. And these are also the things that we know contribute to a healthy, um, dynamic society, having infrastructure, a well-educated population, a healthy population. These are all things... Mabby is going to get into it, so I'll not, I'll not rush ahead. So, back to the video. The short sellers, the hedge funders cleaning up, the oligarchs laughing all the way to the bank, and everyone else pushed towards destitution, absolute misery and chaos and collapse in a country that was one of the richest, most stable, most prosperous on earth, ripped apart by this neoliberal experiment. Liz Truss and Kwasi Kwarteng are members of an extreme cult called neoliberalism. When this cult first started to be developed in the late 1930s, it was regarded as just crazy, cult? completely extreme cult. No one paid it much attention. But then yeah, yeah. it started receiving serious money, money from some of the richest people on earth. And it started being championed by those rich people's media. They began to push it and push it and push it until eventually it became the water in which we swim or to be more accurate, the sewage in which we drown. Neoliberalism became so much a part of our political lives that we no longer even recognize it as being a distinct 
thing. Neoliberalism has been the dominant ideology in this country for the past 40 years since Mrs. Thatcher came to power and Blair saw himself as inheriting Thatcher's mantle. He slightly modified some of its more extreme elements. You shrink the state, you transfer public services to the private sector, try to prevent trade unions from exercising power and you switch our perceptions of ourselves from being citizens to being consumers. The market must take precedence over politics, which means money takes precedence over democracy. And the people with the money, the oligarchs, the billionaires, are the people who are effectively put in charge. And this is the thing. There, there, there was, I'm reminded of a, of a do you remember uh, a few months ago, a few weeks ago, what was it, about a month, maybe a month and a half ago, during the Tory party hustings, when Liz Truss was asked about the disgusting and uh, extreme profits that the oil companies and the gas companies were were extracting from the countries that all around the world, and her answer was, "Well, I don't think there's anything wrong with profit." Well, first of all, that wasn't her quest. That wasn't the question. She never answered it, and the interviewer never went on to correct her. Second of all, nobody thinks that there's anything wrong with the profit, even a socialist like me. This is the this is the point. So our, our political education has become so infantilized that everything is you're, it's it's like you're supporting a football team. It's either Team A or Team B. You're either full on right wing Tory lunatic or you're a full on left wing fucking socialist lunatic, and, and neither the twain shall meet. But the reality is, most of us can agree on most things most of the time, but we call it, we do the the thing. The, the narcissism of petty differences. You don't agree with me exactly with what I say. Now, where we differ, it's not okay to extract extreme amounts of wealth at the expense of everybody in the country, putting the, putting the actual country in danger, endangering the actual country, that your hunger and vampiric thirst for more and more profit is so so consumes you that you're prepared to see old people die. You and people die in the winter. If we get a cold winter, people are going to die, right? Most people agree that that's not okay. Even right wingers, even the Tories, some Tories, not yeah, even Tories, conservatives, traditional conservatives, they don't believe in that. They think that's wrong. Me as a as a left winger, me, I think these things shouldn't be uh, the things that are essential to life. So they shouldn't be in control of private capital at all. But they are. So we need to come to terms. It's not okay for you to extract these profits. But these industries control government. They own government. They are the government now. So they get to tell the government, don't regulate, as uh, Marx and Ms. Chris Hedges said, uh, as it says here in the article, um, the nation state's ability to impede exploitation by imposing environmental regulations or monitoring working conditions or putting price caps on things, etc., etc. Right? That's what that is. But this is where we are. And this is the version of it that we have 
is neoliber- extreme neoliberalism. Liz Truss is worse than Boris Johnson. Think about that. While it's been this pervasive force in this country for 40 years, Truss and Kuateng are the most extreme advocates of neoliberalism that we've ever had in government. They've been schooled by the dark money neoliberal think tanks, organizations such as the Institute of Economic Affairs, the Adam Smith Institute, the Taxpayers Alliance, some of which go back to the very foundations of neoliberalism and were the organizations that were funded in the first instance by these immensely rich people and turned this from being a fringe cult to a mainstream political organization. Both Truss and Kuateng have been rigorously trained, particularly by the Institute of Economic Affairs, in this doctrine, and several of their crucial advisors, people like Ruth Porter, people like Matthew Sinclair, people like Caroline Elson, people like Alex Wilde, they are straight out of these extremist so-called think tanks who refuse to reveal who's funding them. They're no longer lobbying government, they are the government. So those people he named there, They've come straight from these institutes, these so-called think tanks. They're in the government right now. I told you the other week, the Downing Street Chief of Staff, his wages are being paid by his think tank. That means they've effectively privatised Downing Street. Now, the thing about these so-called think tanks is they claim to be independent think tanks, just thinking about stuff, as if they're some kind of academic. So, hmm, yes, what's the best policy for this country? Let us objectively determine that. In reality, they are lobby groups acting on behalf of the oligarchs and the corporations who give them their money. And every so often there's a leak and we discover who's been paying them. Oh, it's the tobacco companies. Who would have guessed? It's the oil companies. Who would have guessed? It's some really, really nasty US billionaires. Who would have guessed? Could there perhaps be a connection between the people who fund them and the positions that they take? That the very rich should stop paying tax? That industry should stop being regulated? That trade unions should effectively be shut down? That protest movements should be shut down? They are just lobbying groups on behalf of these organizations whose identity they won't reveal. But here's the astonishing thing. The BBC, in common with almost all the rest of the media, invites these people onto its current affairs programs every single day. They populate Question Time, the Today program, Newsnight, the whole lot. They're on there almost 24-7 without ever being challenged as to who's funding them and who they represent. So when we see... And this is another thing I've learned. Mumia has has written another article about these think tanks. Um, He explains that the counter... So whenever they want an expert on to talk about a particular subject, right? The think tank is ready to go. That's what they're for. They've got their talking points laid out. You go onto their website, there's a phone number, they will ring you back. You need a producer from a TV show going out at 7 o'clock, rings these people up at 12 o'clock in the afternoon, you can get anybody here to... Yes, they're on their way. Right? The alternative for the... is a learned professor in some dusty library in Cambridge who knows... Everything about the subject, be it global warming, you know, where they always two sides, they always give you both sides. But you can't, increasingly, you don't get, you get these think tanks with all these laid out 
Well, later, you'll not get Mombi. They'll, they'll not throw the think tank up against this guy because he'll fucking crucify them. It was somebody that doesn't know the subject very well. But they can't get the dusty professor. Some dude that doesn't know how a fucking webcam works and maybe isn't going to check his messages for three days. The, 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 the show has moved on by the time he's even engaged, right? And that's one of the reasons why these people are all over the media and they go unchallenged. That woman there, they can't remember her name, the, 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 the lady, the young-looking woman, she's an American. I don't watch BBC anymore. I don't watch Question Time or anything anymore. I used to, used to watch all these programmes every day. I would watch them all. She was never off. And just extreme right-wing neoliberal talking points. Never off the TV. Question time coming from somewhere. There, boom, there she was. And if it wasn't her, it was somebody else. But I always, I always found her, I always found her note, noteworthy because she's always seemed quite young to me. But yeah, doesn't mean she was a nice person. The absolute financial, economic, social catastrophe that this extreme version of neoliberalism has just inflicted on this country. That catastrophe is not just on Truss and Quateng. It's also on those dark money think tanks. It's also on the BBC. It's also on the billionaire press, which has been championing these crazy ideas for so long. I think the most likely way this will pan out is that the massive economic crisis caused entirely by this government is going to put a huge squeeze on public finances. And then this government is going to say, oh, we can't afford to fund public services. Damn we'll have to privatise the NHS. We'll have to do all the things they've always wanted to do. Destroy the administrative state. Privatise everything. Rip down public services. Rip down public protections. And they'll be able to say, and this time they'll have a justification for it, there's no money. We can't afford it. And why is there no money? Because they squandered that money on giving it away to the richest people, on giving it away to the energy companies on tanking the pound, on tanking our economy. I see this program as being as dangerous politically as it is economically and socially. For the 30 years following the Second World War, mm. governments everywhere recognized that to prevent the resurgence of fascism, you had to ensure that people's needs were met. You had to ensure that people had economic security, that if they fell out of work, they wouldn't starve, they wouldn't become destitute. You had to ensure that there were good public services so that people's need for health, for education, for all the other things which make for a good life were there. And governments knew that if those things were in place, people would not succumb to the siren call of fascism. They would have too much to lose. They couldn't be conned so easily if they weren't desperate for a solution. And fascism plays on people's desperation. But then, with the advance of neoliberalism and its adoption by Thatcher, by Reagan, and then by their many imitators around the world, that lesson was forgotten. And they ripped apart the social safety net. They ripped apart public services. And now that process is accelerating greatly. And the great danger when that happens is that the fascists come back. And the yeah. fascists say, we're the new broom. We'll sort everything out. We'll sweep away the corruption. We'll solve these intractable problems. Of course, that's another lie because there is no fascist movement ever which has not been supported by the oligarchs. But it pretends otherwise. It pretends it's going to save us from the very forces that have caused this mess when actually it's an acceleration 
of those forces. Yeah. The danger is that if you don't have real and workable... People have been warning about the rise of fascism. Not because... Well, you can see it. You can see it happening. Italy has just elected a far-right... Um, Giorgia Malari, Malani, Malari, uh, basically fascists, and we've been watching. But we've been watching the rise of fascist and fascist adjacent and fascist people with political parties and movements with fascist tendencies across the world. And it's no coincidence that as capitalism loses the run of itself, that's th these fascist movements rise up, and they're gonna, as he said, in the new broom to sweep away all the old problems. And it's it's quite a thing, and people have been using it. You know, uh, people have been warning about it, but they get dismissed as cranks. They get dismissed as cranks because that old what's that old adage? The first person to blame the Nazis loses the argument. That sort of a thing. Something like that. I, I butchered that, but you get my point. So. Whenever people like him and Chris Hedges, he wrote a great book in 2009 called Christian American Fascists, which is about the rise of the Christian right in America. Um, they get dismissed. He says, oh, stop it, will you? Fascism, it's not going to... Right? But it's like the Spanish... Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. Nobody expects the fascists until they're fucking here. Alternatives to the disastrous programme that this government is enforcing then people are going to look around and they're going to turn to an anti-politics. And that anti-politics is most clearly represented by fascism. And this is why Labour has to step up. This is why Labour has to stop being this timid, restrained, tooth-sucking movement that it's become. And actually Don't introduce the Labour. radical proposals for changing our lives, for improving our lives, Le for ensuring we have the public services and the economic security that we need to ensure that it is seen as a genuine alternative to this government and not a slightly modified version of it. I think if you were to put your finger on the beating heart of neoliberalism, if indeed it has a heart, it's the denial of humanity. It's the denial of human relations. It's the denial of anything except buying and selling. There should be no empathy, no compassion, no altruism, no kindness. Mm. We should not care about other people. That does not reflect human nature. They're constantly trying to tell us, you are selfish, you are greedy. And sure, we've all got some selfishness and greed in us, but these are not our dominant characteristics. There's a huge body of research showing that our dominant characteristics are empathy and altruism and benevolence and kindness towards other people, a community, a family, are being together with other people and wanting them to have good lives as well as ourselves to have good lives. So we will not stand for this. We must not stand for this. We must gather in unprecedented numbers to defy this attempt by a weird extreme cult to impose their beliefs on us. This disaster is on the government, but it's also on the media big time. It was the media who gave a massive platform to these crazy neoliberal ultras who have tanked the economy and ripped the fabric of the nation apart. This is why we need outlets like Double Down News to tell us the things we're not hearing elsewhere. So please join Double Down News, contribute to Patreon to enable us to keep making these videos. So there we go. I let that um, uh, Double Down News 
patron play player there because I've used their video and I hope they don't mind. I will, of course, give them all the credit in the world for that. And I'll put the, the link to Double Down News on their Patreon, etc., etc., in, in the, the video notes on YouTube. Um, so there we go. Do you see where we are? Do you see the, what, what the, what, what's at stake? Where we are, how we got here, and what's at stake? It's very important that we understand this. I don't want to live in a world imagined by capitalists, neoliberals especially, because it's, it's a horrible, ugly place. It's a broken place full of broken people, and I don't want to live in it. And one of the reasons that I, I, I again, I'll, as I started the video by saying, I do talk, I comment on British politics because that's the administration that, that rules my life, it, it makes the decisions that, that um, rule my life. Um, this is another argument why we need to, uh, to unite Ireland. Now, we have neoliberals in Dublin. Make no mistake about it. We know this. We have capitalists in Dublin. We know this. We have these anti-humanity drones, these weird cults, as Mambia said, in Dublin. We know this. But the ones in Westminster, I can't do a damn thing about. How do I know? Because we've never done anything about them. We can't. They've took us out of the European Union against our, I know, and listen, I'm not going to get into the whole EU thing, right? But nonetheless, the people of the north of Ireland voted against it. We're got it anyway. And th that's pretty much the way it is. The British Army and the security state, MI5 and every, the, 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 the police and the army and the cops, everything, have massacred the people in, in, in the north of Ireland. All of the troubles. We know I've talked to Paddy Fox. You can watch him one of the videos. I'll link to it in the thing. Talking about the collusion and the depths of it. And the more we realise, the more we're learning all the time, that it wasn't just a thing that happened every now and again. These people don't see us as being a part of their thing, their club. We're an appendage. For whatever reason they want to hang on to us, I still don't know. Well, I don't think they do. I think it would be embarrassing. Ireland was the first colony of the British Empire and the north of Ireland is the last remaining bit of it, in my opinion. The Act of Union of 1800, which is often quoted by certain loyalist commentators as being, you know, as if that's we made a choice to join the Union, therefore, you know, it's just the way it is. Yeah, that's not quite... That's, that's quite a a one-sided view and a reading of the actual history of what did happen. So we won't get into that here, but all these things are reasons as to why we need to be have a united Ireland. Just as simple as that. If we do, you and I, the people from the north of Ireland that are watching this, listening to this, we can do something about the people in Dublin. We can have a fact change and affect change in our own lives. There's nothing we can do. We have watched Tory governments over the past 12 years, and before them, Tory light, which is what New Labour was. And if you take into account the Iraq war, you could get, you could get rid of the, the light part of that. The destruction of Libya, the destruction of Afghanistan. You say, well, what's light about them? Very little. But we've we've watched them 
lurch from one right-wing demagogic monster to the next. To the next, to the next. To the, to the point that we end up where we are now with Liz Truss. A fucking bona fide idiot. But owned, bought and paid for by the new liberals. And that's the point. That's because that's where we are. And I don't want to be there anymore. I haven't wanted to be there for a very long time. So there we go. Listen, I hope that's... Um, I hope that... Is that, is that a thing for you? Is that good? Is it explained? Um, head over to my Twitter and my Instagram. And if you want to lend me your support for as little as a pound a month, you can do that at Patreon, where there's exclusive content, early access, all the, all the usual stuff. You know what I'm saying, right? Okay, listen, thanks a million. And uh, I'm heading off on tour with my band on Thursday. So I don't know what I'm going to get to do. I'm certainly not going to get to do this in my studio, obviously, but I'll try and put something up from on the road. I'm going to try and film some bits and pieces. So, But I don't. I just don't know what I'm going to be able to do. I'm not bringing a laptop with me or anything. So I don't know if I'm going to be able to edit. It's going to be a bit... Maybe wee shorts or something like that. We'll see. I'll do what I can. Alrighty. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.